0: Well, you better change your attitude about that particular topic, because I don't think you're ready. We may just have to add another month. Because, see, they can't add any time to your sentence, but they can take time off of your, what you're going to get from that program itself. And so, they they that's a big motivator to conform to their ideologies. Uh, and <laughs> brainwashing. Uh, there's another one I wrote, brainwashing in app, I think it's, it's titled something like that. Uh, and uh that's you know they've they've got they've got what they think and and then uh you you better think it
1: welcome to the rex crim show tupelo hello rex thank you for having me what are we going to be uh chatting about today i think something along the lines of club fed
0: Yes, I, uh, I think we're going to be talking about my time in Club Fed, which was the majority of my time, and uh, probably touch on a couple of the places I had to go through to get there before I got there, and what it was like, and you know uh, how I dealt with it.
1: There's people uh, tuning in, you know, in Canada and through the U.S. and some in Europe. So um, I must admit, I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. I'd never heard it before. So can you begin by telling us uh, the meaning of Club Fed, what that means to you?
0: Uh, club Fed is uh, a nickname for a really nice prison. Uh, I, think, I think that it, they pulled it off of um, Club Med which is a resort or something, uh, I I think. And uh, so Club Fed is uh, the nice prison, the one you want to go to. People think inmates are playing golf at Club Fed, although they're not. But uh, those types of uh, associations are are made with Club Fed in uh, in the States, I think.
1: Yeah, it's indeed, I think, a a play on the idea of an all-inclusive, almost as though you're on vacation. But I don't think that's what we're going to be hearing about necessarily from you.
0: You know, uh, there, there's a lot of truth to uh, the the club fed thing, though. It when I first arrived, it um, it was like a community college campus, a, a large sprawling, com- uh, you know, complex with lots of buildings. Very clean. The grass was very well manicured. Uh, it was it was on the Al- Alabama River. Uh, it was down in Montgomery, Alabama. And, you know, inmates were allowed to walk uh, on the path beside the river, you know, and it was beautiful. So, uh, as, as far as aesthetics go, uh, at least down in Montgomery, I can't, there's a few other locations that they may be referred to as Club Fed, not many. It's, and it's mainly federal prison, not state prison. So, you know, the feds are spending more money on it. And, um, but it was it was really nice it, as far as aesthetics go, and uh, you know the, the the outdoors. You know there were there were ducks in the in the river. Uh, this particular uh, prison had a dog program where inmates could train service dogs, so there were some dogs around. You would see just walking down the sidewalk with their with their inmate owner. Um, and uh, you know that's that was you know my first when I first got there. I was really glad to get there because I had been through four other facilities that were pretty bad. And, uh, then I just, I show up at down at, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. And, um, uh, it was such a relief. You know, I think I was there for two and a half, three years total. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, go so I, I, to give a bit of context, to anybody uh, tuning in, um, uh, I think there's um, quite a bit of material that you have produced in a blog. Uh, I'm referring to stories from Club Fed, uh, a blog that you shared. Is it okay to go ahead and uh, and put that out? For, yeah, of in course. The yeah,
0: that's an anonymous blog that I put out. Uh, clubfedprison.blogspot.com, I think is the, the
1: name. You got it. That's right. And I'll link it in the show notes for people who want to check that out. Cool.
0: And I I did that uh, about three two or two years three years after I got out I started documenting uh, some things you know at the time I was thinking that it was you know going to be make me all this money on this blog and you know that's not really the way it works I figured out but still I enjoy writing and uh, and I thought some of those the stories that I have on there are uh, when I when I wrote it when it was still much more fresh on my memory, uh, then uh, I, I, I wanted to kind of preserve that for myself too, you know, I go back and look at it from time to time.
1: Yeah. And I guess in a way, that's what we're uh, accomplishing in the Rex Crim show is being able to, you know, create a document for folks to tell their stories and, and uh, showcase not, so much the idea of uh, true crime but uh, the experiences and brush-ups with actual crime so the the podcast or the uh, the blog rather is is available and we'll put the link there but i can see it um going from i think august of 2012 uh through to september 2013 um when when did you end when did you get out of custody this is some time ago that we're referring back to i think
0: i got out I went in May 17th, 2007, and I got out March 10th, 2010, so, uh, 34 months.
1: And you were sentenced to a larger uh, period, I guess, 54 months you'd shared in uh, in an email to me. Um, so help us understand how it is that that you uh, got out uh, in less time than what you were sentenced.
0: Sure. Um it may have been 57 months. Uh, it's been a while and I don't 54, 57. Um, so in the U S federal prison system, you get 15% of your sentence knocked off as long as you don't get in any trouble. That's not parole or anything like that. It's called good time. So you get your good time. So right off the bat, uh, with my sentence, um, uh, as long as I didn't get in any trouble, I was never going to have served the full amount. I was at the minimum going to have served 85%. So I've got that going for me. Uh, in addition to that, they uh, the U.S. Federal BOP, Bureau of Prisons, they offer a residential drug and alcohol program for uh, inmates who can show that they had a problem. And that program gets up to 12 months off your sentence, depending on when you start, you started at the very end of your sentence. And then when you graduate the program, you're get released and, you know, a month or less, something like that, whenever your, your days end up counting down, but they try to time it so that when you finish, you know, then you go to the halfway house and it also guarantees six months, halfway house time, which, uh, is, a uh, uh, halfway house. And, uh, So I got out, I did 34 months, totally incarcerated. Then I did two and a half months at the halfway house and three and a half months on home confinement with an ankle bracelet. So that halfway house home confinement was a total of six months. And so that's, uh, you know, technically, I guess you could say that, you know, you're still in their custody, you know, during that six month time of halfway house and home confinement, but you're free. You know, you can get out, you can go to the store and buy you know, whatever, you you know, you know what I mean? So uh, that, that's how that works. That was uh, the, the time.
1: Is that different from probation or parole then?
0: Yes. Uh, probation starts when you get out of the halfway house. Uh, so... When I got out of the halfway house, uh, slash home confinement, uh, I, I drive down there, they take my ankle bracelet off and now I'm on probation for three years. And, you know, during that time, you just, you work and you, you know, you may have to take a drug test from time to time. They may show up at your house from time to time, um, and you've got to, you know, submit uh, monthly financial reports, you know, your checking account balance and your mileage on your car and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after about a year and a half on probation, they told me I didn't have to do that anymore and just, you know, don't get in any trouble. And then when the three-year mark was up, I you was I was done. Yeah.
1: Well, I, that's a nice uh, way of summarizing, you know, what we'll cover, but I think uh, it's important to get more, you know, in depth. Uh, so maybe we can get started the, at the beginning uh, and how it is that you found yourself in front of a judge and, uh, you know, n- navigating the criminal justice system. Your time was in Alabama. Uh, was, is that where all of this um, stems from?
0: No, none of it stemmed from Alabama. That was just the closest, uh, minimum security prison to where I was living at the time. And mm-hmm. I had requested to go there and the judge requested to the BOP that me get, that I go there. And I knew that it was a nice facility. I mean, I obviously had researched all this, so I knew that that was, if I had to go, that's where I wanted to go, you know, right. uh, and it's, uh, so, yeah, my crime was, uh, cons- was a federal crime, c- one count, conspiracy to distribute oxycodone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what that what that was, was uh, me and uh, one of my closest friends, who, who was a pharmacist, uh, he, me and him, would uh, forge prescriptions for oxycontin mm-hmm. and use it and sell it. And so... Uh, I was hooked on OxyContin. Uh, you know, it, it's th- that's an opiate addiction story, and it's pretty typical. Thank you. And uh, you, <laughs> you know, you started out uh, taking one pill, and you, you know, you said, th- oh, this feels pretty good. I'll, you know, well, it, when you have full access to an entire pharmacy, and uh, you know your your closest friend is the pharmacist and can also has the same issue then, uh, you know, you can pretty much get anything you want as much as you want at cost, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was using a lot of Oxycontin. And uh, we did that. I think the the crime was from 2003 to 2005. And in October 2005, he calls me and says, hey, come on up to the pharmacy. I got something for you. And uh, so, I'm I'm on my way. You know by this he had been on vacation too so I had run out so I was uh, I, I, I was hurting you know I was dope sick whatever you want to call it and uh, and I would mainly uh, I wasn't an IV drug user thank God I never made it that far I was I would snort it that was how I did it and uh, so he calls me up there I drive up there I'm in the parking lot I'm waiting on him to walk outside which was a little unusual because normally I would just go to the drive-through and he would ring me up but In this case, I didn't really think anything about it. I'm like, whatever. Okay, I'll wait in the parking lot. And about 20 seconds later, eight cars, 10 cars, unmarked, swarm the parking lot. And everybody, all the officers hop out and, you know, body armor, guns drawn, yelling, screaming at me to get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. My, My doors were locked, just happened to have been. So they couldn't open it and pull me out. So um, in this moment, uh, I was almost relieved, to be honest. I I had been wanting, I had been trying to stop. You know, I had been wanting to quit. I mean, who wants to be hooked on oxycontin? Once you get there, you know, nobody. Um, but then at that point, you know, you 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 keep doing it. You have, you know, otherwise, you know, you, you pay, you suffer. And so they, uh, so I slowly put my hands on the steering wheel, and I never even got that busted adrenaline rush either. You know, I've been uh, when you're a kid or when you're any time something you get caught. A lot of times there's this adrenaline rush. Your heart's right, you, all of a sudden out of the blue. It didn't happen. Uh, it, honestly, I had I had I won't say fantasized about this moment. Because uh, you know that would—I don't want to make it sound like I wanted that to happen—but I had awaited this moment for a while. I knew that this uh, what this wasn't going to be able to go on forever, and you know, I had thought so many times as I went up there to get it on the other visits. This is the time they're going to—they're going to be here. <laughs> they know they're, they're coming, you know. Um, and it, and when it happened, that was my mental state. And so I put my hands on the steering wheel. I slowly reached over and opened the door. And uh, they yank me out, you know, throw me on the ground, handcuff me. They're all yelling, you know, and I'm pretty calm. I'm, sorry. I'm nonviolent. I'm mm-hmm. not violent. Here you go. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, they take me inside the pharmacy. It was a CVS pharmacy, and uh, into the break room, and uh, interrogate me. And the pharmacist already has a full written statement right in front of me. You know, he's not in there, but he had, they got him first. Yeah. And then he said, you know, he told them, okay, I'll call, I'll call my friend. He'll come up there and we can get him. That's what happened. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, you know, I'm looking at his entire statement that lays everything out. There was another person that was involved in our conspiracy that I would, I would sell to, I would sell half and keep half. And, uh, at first I would sell a lot more, and just keep a few and then that just slowly you know i took more and more and sold less and less and uh, it, the whole thing was laid out and uh, i was busted you know and i i it was a little i was a little relieved you know uh it was over but uh, you know now what and uh, so that was the uh are you there rex
1: Tupelo, close. I you.
0: There we go. Sorry. I
1: wonder. W- no, no worries. I wonder what happened. I don't know if that was my internet connection or yours. You were telling me that you were selling uh, to a, another party and keeping half, and that was you were kind of illustrating this whole conspiracy.
0: Yeah, I had got. I had gotten to that. I had gotten to that point to where, and you know, it was. It was. Uh, it was a decent amount of money. You know. Uh, there were eighty milligram Oxycontins, which are the biggest ones that there are. Uh, it cost; they're about eleven dollars. They were at the time, and uh, you know, I would sell them for, depending, thirty-five mm-hmm. to fifty a pill. And you know, I was paying eleven. We were getting a couple hundred every week or two, and so you know, it was. It uh, definitely helped me subsidize a uh, lifestyle there while i was you know it was it was uh you know in hindsight in hindsight though it's just ugh.
1: i mean am i hearing uh, that uh this was somewhat lucrative i mean it was an enjoyable lifestyle or was this just a matter of supporting the addiction
0: it starts off uh it ends up just supporting the addiction and and you know constantly tr- trying to uh Find, make sure you've got enough, make sure you're not going to run out. Uh, you know, and I was using a lot and, uh, but at first, yeah, it was, uh, it was extra money. Uh, it was, a uh, you know, I had all this money to do stuff with. I was high all the time, it, you know, I, I had a, had a normal job, uh, you know, so, you know, it wasn't anything crazy to my family or anything that, uh, but you know, you, uh, over time, you slowly withdraw. You sl- you you quit talking to people who aren't doing it, who aren't using, uh, and you you know you 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 use more and more, and you become more and more miserable.
1: How did the addiction start in the first place? Uh, do you remember the first time you ever tried?
0: Yeah, the biggest mistake of my life, I would say, was getting a job at a pharmacy when I was a teenager <laughs> in high school. Uh, I was a teenager, fifteen, sixteen. I yeah, I was you know experimented with pot and uh you know i had I had tried cocaine probably and i had probably tried mushrooms i was i wanted to try some things as a as a 15 16 year old i i couldn't wait to to, to party and uh i got the job at the pharmacy and uh immediately started learning started asking questions. What is this? What is that? How does this work? Why is this part? You know, and it wasn't, and I wouldn't just, obviously I wasn't asking about narcotics, uh, only. So I, I honestly wanted to know about everything. I, I've got, ai uh, w- I was interested in science and, and, and chemicals and, uh, you know, uh, how they worked and, and in the body and, uh, 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 and so I would ask the pharmacist all these questions. I learned a ton of stuff. I remember one time a a, a mother came in with a very unusual prescription for birth control. This was in '95 probably, and she's and it said take take four now, take four in twelve hours. And I'm the one who took it from the from the patient, and you know, and I'm taking it over to the pharmacist, and you know, we're going to fill it. And I and I asked her, I'm like, what? what is this? Why is the doctor prescribing the birth control this way? And it was, uh, it was like an off label, uh, emergency contraception that, uh, has, was used. And, uh, so I learned that I had no idea that regular old birth control could be used for an emergency contraceptive. Uh, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, plan B, uh, it's obviously a little different it's not the same and plan B is way better, uh, by now I'm sure, but that was what they had to do back then. So that was one of the little tidbits that I learned. And anyway, so I get the job at the pharmacy and, um, I, sure enough, I uh, first thing I ever take was like a Tylenol three. It was, mm-hmm. uh, had codeine in it, uh, 300 milligrams of Tylenol, 30 milligrams of codeine. I had heard of Tylenol three. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how it made you feel, but I, I that was like one, I'd heard of that and I had heard of Valium, uh, so I took uh, some Tylenol three one day, and you know it kind of gave me a little buzz. Okay, that's interesting. I this does feel kind of good. Uh, and you know, and and over time, I, I was I would I would straight up just steal uh, the pills from the pharmacy, and I got busted uh, because the count was short. And uh, I was eight, just turned eighteen, and uh, narcotics people came and at the pharmacy. Arrested me, searched my my room at my house, and all they found was a a, a roach, mm-hmm. a small joint. I didn't have anything in there, and uh, that was all they charged me with. And I actually got it; ended up getting it dismissed, you know. And so it was like there were no consequences right. to that event. Ultimately, I mean, my family and I cost me a thousand dollars for a lawyer, but mm-hmm. you know, I got off. And uh, then I went to college. Mm-hmm.
1: What was the party scene there like, I wonder?
0: Not like, uh, there weren't any, weren't any pills there. It was a standard college experience, uh, drinking, uh, you know, smoking some pot. Uh, but that was about it all through college. It wasn't until my friend graduated pharmacy school and became a pharmacist that, uh, that I suddenly had mm-hmm. full access again. Um, and so that was, and that was several years later, um. I graduated college in 2001 and so it was a few, I guess it was two years later and it started off real slow. You know, it was like, here, you should try this, try this. This is real good. And it was just one, five milligram Oxycontin in a capsule. It was very easily snortable and I used to just snort everything. Uh, and, uh, okay, great. And it was great. Oh my gosh. The feeling the first time feeling for someone, uh, doing that, uh, is, is, feels really good. Euphoric. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, the term, you know? And, uh, it's so, it's very easy <laughs> to get addicted to.
1: Would you describe, um, addiction as something that's predisposed within individuals or if, is this more, in your case, a matter of access as you describe it?
0: Access plays a big part and, uh, addiction is, <laughs> You know, I I don't know. I don't know if you can say I was predisposed to it. I'm sure if you asked a psychologist to evaluate me as a teenager, they would say, you know, that based on my family life and and family history, that, you know, I would be prone to become an alcoholic or drug user. Uh, But I always thought I was smarter than that. You know, I I, like I thought if I could understand how it worked, that I could – you know, insulate myself from the, the, the negative parts of, uh, of of using drugs, which was clearly false. But in my younger, unwiser mind, that was what I thought. But I yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can say that you're predisposed. I mean, obviously, if you raised my mom smoked pot uh, when I was young in front mm-hmm. of me some, and I never. Honestly, I don't consider marijuana any any big deal, and I still don't but uh, you know that and my and my stepdad had used a bunch of drugs in his younger life and he at times growing up would would almost glorify it to me. He would tell me stories about uh, time, his uh, times he had done drugs, whatever it was and, and it and it you know it he would it, it I was interested it sounded fun. You know, but and I I can't blame him. You know, I, I'm the one that did it. You know, nobody else made me do it. But I would say that that was a contributing factor. You know, uh, to to my interest in in doing. Are that.
1: you using now, or is recovery an appropriate term?
0: I wouldn't say recover. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not using any illegal drugs right now. I I, I drink some alcohol, and uh, you know. Uh, marijuana is readily available and, um, and that's it. You know, it's, I've, uh, <laughs> I learned my lesson <laughs> in terms of, uh, uh, hard drugs. No, thank you. Um, uh, I, uh, I, it, but it wasn't, so I got arrested in 2015 and I was out on bond for a year and a half and I still mm-hmm. use during that time. Uh, I have to say though, that when I was in club fed, the, RDAP program, residential drug and alcohol program that I was in for the last nine months, um, while I was there, it, it, it really did make a difference. And I had, I went to a rehab right after I got arrested, hoping and thinking that that was going to make everybody okay. And that the law was not going to prosecute me if Mm -hmm. I just went to rehab. And, uh, uh, that rehab didn't take, you know. I got out and, and it was a 28 day AA based model, uh, 12 step mm-hmm. based model, and uh, it, I didn't, it didn't work. The uh, RDAP program, uh, was a cognitive, is a community based, uh, cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy program, yep. CBT, and uh, it was it i have to say it was a successful model for me it really did enable me to uh l- examine the way my th- how i thought you know and 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 change some of my thinking processes and uh I, I i honestly do i credit that uh a lot to uh to me when i got out in 2010 and to 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 now where i'm at today you know 11 years later uh, I'm. I would say that I'm successful today. I'm. I'm I, you know, I'm in a the business that I'm in is finance, and it's successful. And I'm happily married, and uh, I've got a nice house, and uh, I've got a, a son, and every everything mm-hmm. is is great. Uh, it's it's better than I, it's what I when I was in prison. It's what I hoped. Oh, it's it's where I hoped I would be. You know, and so. I'm honestly the exception, I think, to that rule. I think that the recidivism rate, you know, is it's uh, is very high. Uh, and I'm, I feel blessed and, and grateful, you know, to God Almighty.
1: Yeah, indeed, there is a public perception around uh, going to jail, obviously, being involved with the justice system. Um, you know, in, in a large part, that's depicted on uh, in, in Netflix shows and, you know, on the— TV, although you're describing something uh, quite contrary to what you know the average Joe might think prison really is, uh, yeah, help us unfold this a little bit.
0: so when I first pled guilty uh, in May of 7 they I was in a federal court and uh, I got my sentence. No, I didn't get my sentence yet. I just pled guilty, and then they, they the marshals took me to a little room in the courthouse that's for inmates. You know, I sat there for an hour, <laughs> and then uh, the the sheriffs came to pick me up and take me to the uh, no 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 the marshals the marshals took me to the county jail that day. And so, you know, I arrive at the county jail probably about 6 or 7 p.m.
1: Is this picking up from the time that you had been arrested uh, and brought into the CVS and interrogated? Is that, are we? um,
0: So this is about a year and a half after the actual day I was arrested. I see,
1: because you've been been released on bond.
0: That's right. And initially it was a state charge and I had a deal worked out with the state to where I wasn't, I was just going to get house arrest and probation and have to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. That was the deal that me and my attorney worked out with the, uh, county attorney, the county prosecutor. And then I just waited and, uh, and waited. Was
1: there, was there conditions that you were subject to it during that time?
0: No. I mean, uh, my, the conditions of my bond, you know, don't get arrested, you know, uh, but no, there wasn't, there weren't any, um, uh, a year, and then about a year later, maybe I get a call from my attorney and he says he has good news and bad news. The good news is, is the state of Mississippi has dropped the charges and the bad news is that the federal government has picked them up. Hmm. And, uh, so that, that was, you know, a game changer it was on Valentine's day. I remember that. And, uh, so now, you know, I've got a, you know, I had this deal that I thought I was going to get off again, you know? But, uh, no federal government, the United States wasn't having it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was going to have to do some time. And, uh, so at this point, you know, I, I, I retain a different attorney, a federal criminal attorney. Uh, and you know, he tells me what the deal is, you know, he's, he's got, there's a, for, for drug crimes in the U S there's basically a grid that they use to sentence you with. And, uh, you're either a, you know, category one through five in uh, sentencing guidelines. So you're either first time or category five is, you know, you've been in jail 20 times. And then depending on the quantity of drug that that's on the, uh, you know, that's on the other axis. And then you just go down the axis and go over and there's your sentence range. Mine was 57 to 63 or something like that. And, uh, Hmm. I got the, the the bare minimum that the judge could have given me, and then, like we talked about earlier, there was good time, and then there was a year off for the for the rehab program. Uh, but I was I, I get to the county jail um, to start this entire time, okay? Because they, you don't the judge would not allow me to self surrender to the pr- directly to the prison. I don't know why. I wish he would have been a lot nicer, but he didn't. Uh, sometimes on, uh, sometimes judges will allow that they'll say, okay, you have to surrender on this day to this prison. Right. And then Mm -hmm. the, 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 the person just drives to the prison or his wife drops him off, you know, and then now he's in prison. Not me. Uh, I had to go through, uh, uh, two County jails and then two federal holding facilities. And then I made it to club fed. Right. And, uh, the counties, the first county I was in was awful. You're in there with, you're in a pod so there's maybe 30 people, two, two people to a cell and you're in there of, of all offender levels. Okay, There's a child molester in there, there's uh, you know uh, uh, somebody who tried to poison his mother-in-law, there's uh, somebody who had threatened to kill the president. It was an old man who just made some crazy comments and they charged him with that uh there were people in there for drug crimes. somebody was in there for a machine gun crime you know and Mm -hmm. here i am never been in jail you know skinny just you know i'm I'm, i had had, and uh, white and uh and and this was down in uh uh, mississippi where the prison population is the majority black Mm -hmm. um And, you know, I was a little scared, you know, you don't know what's, you don't know what's fixing to happen. You don't know these people, you know, and, um, I was in that first facility, that rough facility for six months, maybe five months, four, I don't remember exactly. Then I got transferred to a second facility. I was there for maybe a month or two. Then I got sentenced. Then I went to a federal holdover facility for about a month. Then I went to another federal holdover facility for about a month and then I made it to Club Fed. It was one county jail bad, one county jail okay, federal holdover facility bad. <laughs> they made us sleep on the floor in, in the sec- in, in Atlanta uh, because uh, they were overcrowded and they give you a mat and there's two other people already in there and you sleep on the floor. There were rats in there It was awful. (laughs) Uh, And they would come up at night and they would eat little people. You had to slide your food trays under your cell door. It was designed that way. So, you know, they they, they slide them under the door, you eat them, and you slide them back out under the door. It was locked down the whole time, pretty much. And uh, as you slide it back out under the door, a lot of times little food particles would touch the bottom of the door. And, you know, these these, these rats knew it. Uh, The funniest thing was you'd hear a random random person at one or two in the morning just starts screaming bloody murder. Some of the biggest guys in prison are scared of mice. They'd be ah! they beating on the door. Cause this little mouse crawling in their room. It was, you know, you right. find moments of humor like that.
1: I'm I'm thinking of a sentimental part of a movie in the green mile. If you can recall, or if anyone listening knows about uh, that uh, movie where there's a little mouse as a main character in the film. <laughs> you,
0: you're right. Yeah. I remember that. That is a, uh, that is uh, uh, not in this case. In this case, the the person was very scared of the mouse. It, it happened two or three times, and, and it would wake you know. You'd, it'd startle you because you'd be asleep. You'd be three in the morning, and you just hear someone screaming, and you know you would find out what it is, and it was it was a mouse. It,
1: it was a rat. It sounds like as opposed to well, a mouse yeah,
0: was- maybe a rat. I, I, but I did. They came in my room too. You know, uh, I, I saw them. It was. I guess it was a rat. I don't know.
1: So can you help me understand the logic between going from sort of state level to federal level? It sounds like there was some political influence there. What, what do you make of that? Why was that decided upon?
0: If I had to guess, I would – originally the, uh, the case was – it was a Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics and DEA. It was a, like a joint task force, right? Mm. And they were both involved. And they were both there when I was arrested, uh, both MBN and DEA. And uh, I think simply because the DEA had invested time and effort into the case already, and I think when they realized that none of the players were going to really have to get, you know, uh, suffer or, or, or do any time, uh, that that's when they, they came in. Um, on t- it was a large quantity. They added up, you know, every pill that had, we had ever forged for, and it, you know, it was ended up being equivalent of about. See, it's it's hard to describe quantity because a lot of people don't understand. You know, I can say five milligrams or twenty milligrams. If if someone doesn't has never been hooked on OxyContin, they probably don't know the difference. But a typical Percocet or percadan is five milligrams of oxycodone. And the pills that I were getting had 80 milligrams of oxycodone in, in each one. So each pill that – one pill of the 80 milligram oxycontin was equal to 16 Percocet 5s. Uh, and, you know, I would get hundreds at a time. And so, you know, you add up all the – and 5 milligrams is a standard dose that a doctor would give you for for e- extreme pain. <clears throat> you know, you, you go to the hospital and you break your leg. They're probably going to send you home with a bottle of you know, 12 Percocet, uh, five milligrams and, you know, take one every four to six hours. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe the doctor says take one to two every four to six hours. So then you can take two every four. Um, uh, and, and so they add up the total quantity it was a lo- It was equivalent to about 125,000 Percocets is the amount that they, uh, that was, in the indictment
1: 125,000 standard doses so to speak
0: yeah that's right and this was over you know two years time uh, roughly and so that was another you know it was a large amount so they could have picked it up from the beginning you know I asked that when I was in the break room getting interrogated I asked the DEA agent I said why why are why am I talking to this guy why am I not talking to you and he said well we're gonna let them handle it you know, as long as they handle it right. Basically, he said something like that. And, you know, this is down in Mississippi. And I know you're in Canada and uh, different cultures. And uh, you, there, you, you know, um, white privilege, basically. You know, I was a college, you know, I, I was never been in really any trouble that they knew of before. I had a job. I was in the community, you know. Okay. The local county prosecutor. Um uh, oh, okay, you know, my lawyer, you know, they knew each other, <laughs> you know, that's, that's how that works, you know? So, okay. House arrest, rehab and probation. Uh, and my, to, to answer your original question, my guess is that the DEA was not okay with that.
1: Right. Right. What happened to the other folks in the conspiracy? Were you the fall guy in this case?
0: Well, the pharmacist got caught first and he turned in me and the other guy. And, uh, the pharmacist ended up getting, uh, eleven extra 11 more months than I did because he got a uh, they added on uh, abusing his position of power as a point system they added two points for that um, an enhancement if you will on his sentence so he even though he but he got he got a deduction for turning me in but he his his enhancement was like double what the deduction was so he still had to do more time to me even though he set me up and you know he was my best friend at the time we grew up together from high school until that moment. And I don't, I don't blame him. I'm not mad at him. Uh, I know what they told him, you know, they put, you're never, he had a son. You're never going to see your son again. You're going away for 25 years. You better tell us, you know, and even though, and, you know, they had him, you know, stone cold, too. You know, they had the, the ledgers that he had, you know, this is Schedule II narcotic, and that's very well, very heavily regulated, you know. So, every time a, a Schedule II narcotic goes out the, goes out the door, it's got to be accounted for. There's a ledger, you know, and he, he's the one who signed the ledger on all the prescriptions that we forged. And um, so, you know, they, they had him. Uh, and I, uh, he could have lawyered up. He could have not said a word. And, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened, but I'll tell you this, um, I, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Had I not went through all that, I wouldn't be, uh, uh, I might be dead, uh, I, who knows, but I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today. And, you know, I'm, I did my best to make lemonade out of lemons there and, He, on the other hand, has had problems since he got out. Obviously, he's no longer a pharmacist. Uh, You know, he's got a doctorate of pharmacy, but he can't do anything with it. You know, I don't. I I haven't talked to him in years. Uh, I've I've pretty much cut him off just because, you know, he's he was toxic. Uh, You know, and I don't. I don't want that in my life. And he's struggled since I've, I've heard secondhand that he's struggled. He's got a couple of DUIs and, uh, you know, I think he's already been married and divorced two or three times, you know, since whenever he got out, which would have been 2012 or 11. And yeah, I wish him the best, you know, I hope, I hope he does good. I I don't want him in my life, but I don't, I know, I know what they put him through. And the other guy, uh, was just a ancillary player, you know, he just, he bought from me and then he would, he would turn around and sell and use. And, uh, you know, he got them way cheaper than, than cost too. You know, I I only sold to him. I didn't sell to anybody else. Uh, I didn't want to pedal. I didn't want to deal one and two here and there. It was, you you can, you can buy 200 for, you know, several thousand dollars or you can't have any, you know? And, uh, He has, uh, from, I think I saw on Facebook somewhere, somehow he's remarried. He's, he seems to be doing well in another state and I'm happy for him too.
1: So are you speaking to us from the same state that you had served time or have you since relocated? I'm just mindful of the uh, name that you're, that you're uh, identifying as Tupelo.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm from, uh, Mississippi. Uh, I live in Tennessee now and I did my time in Alabama. so, uh, uh, but I live in Tennessee now and, uh, I I moved to Tennessee right before I went to prison. Uh, I, at the time I was married, uh, I've since divorced that person and we have a son together and, uh, you know that the the prison the, you know, ultimately we we couldn't make it through through prison. Um, nor I don't think we could have made it through even without prison. We were both using and uh, partying, and uh, you know it, it, that that leads to a lot of bad damage that can happen in a relationship, and the relationship becomes so damaged. But. I knew I was going to have to go to prison. I knew I was going away. I just didn't know when. And I wanted to do the right thing uh, for all of us. And so I relocated us to to Tennessee away from all of the bad influences that even after the arrest, we still had. And I was here for two months, and then I had to go to uh, to turn myself in.
1: And that was uh, ostensibly at the last court date uh, where the judge uh – Took into custody and that's that's where the county. Okay. All right. I want to get back to uh, those facilities. Um, Two county jails, a federal uh, holdover, and then uh, off to Club Fed. Um, The RAT incidents did i hear atlanta is that where uh, is that was that, in
0: atlanta yep yeah.
1: in the federal holdover, uh, the
0: atlanta the atlanta federal holdover facility it also doubles as a maximum security prison it was 23 hours a day lockdown uh it was safe though i know that i was in the people that were in my cell one of them was in for mortgage fraud and the other one i'm pretty sure was in for child pornography uh Uh, He never, they don't admit that, obviously. When you're in jail with people, they don't tell you that they're, you know, had child porn or, or, or pedophile or whatever, right? They don't, they, they come up with different stories, but it, it, that's what I think it was, but he was a weakling. You know, I wasn't scared of him. It wasn't a threat. You know, in that environment. Uh, and the other guy was a white collar guy uh, in for mortgage fraud, I think. And then I was in for drugs. So us three were in the room. I came in after they were both already in the room in the cell, and so I was on the floor, and uh, 23 hour day lockdown. Now, previous to Atlanta, I was in. The Oklahoma Federal Transfer Facility. Now, this place is no joke. It is a uh, big concrete building with many, many, many floors. It has a a pod cell uh, like configuration. So there's like you know uh, five pods going in a circle, and then in the middle of the of the of all five pods is the the guards, and they can so they can see into. So you know if you imagine a a big uh, hexagram or a a pentagram and, and build out triangular pods in each one and in each and in oklahoma the pods were huge they were two stories and they probably housed a total of 200 150 inmates per pod and it was open so uh there's just inmates walking all over the place during the day you know uh and uh of all federal security classifications, maximum, medium, low, and minimum. Those, those are the security classifications and a minimum is a camp like where I went. Uh, then there's a low, then there's a medium and then there's a max. And then of course there's this super max where, you know, Ted Kaczynski is in Colorado underground. Um, uh, but this house all security, uh, classifications of people. And that's, you know, that, that is a little scary right there. You know, I had already been through two counties at this point, so I was a little hardened, but I wasn't, I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't hard by any standard, you know? Uh, And there was this guy in there. I'll never forget. uh, I I started reading a lot. Uh, As soon as I went away, the first book I read was War and Peace. My dad sent it to me. I read War and Peace in County Jail took me a week and a half and uh, it's one of my favorite books to this day, but I spent a lot of my time reading uh, initially for the first, you know, I've read more during that period than I've read my entire life probably. But uh, there was this guy in there and he had a, he had a book that I had wanted to read. And uh, so, you know, it, it was, it was peaceful enough environment. There were, I didn't see any violence in there. Uh, but there was, you know, there were, you had, there were gangs, there were gang members, you know, how they were sticking together, but it was, you know, peaceful. But this guy asked him if I could borrow the book and he said, sure. Yeah, I'll bring it up. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm done with it. Okay. Well, that was an, an, an innocuous enough uh, interaction. So he comes from a room like the next day and he's got the book and uh, this is a big guy, uh, tall, uh, big, and I'll never forget the tattoo that he had across his neck was a tattoo as if his neck had been cut, and it was pretty realistic. It was pretty intimidating, and this guy was—he uh, looked—he could have been like a professional wrestler. I mean, maybe six six. I don't know. And uh, so he—he he kind of starts to befriend me. Okay, well, I don't—I don't see any harm in this. This is, seems nice enough. Okay, well, then you know he he's comes to my room a little later, maybe the next day he shows up too. And then and again, the next day, well, he starts hinting around that he looks out for people like me, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make sure nobody messes with me. You know, like he does this for some other people, and you know, the, those people that he helps, you know, their, their families send him money, put money on his books. Right. So I, I instantly see where this is going. And I'm, I'm. I, this is the only real time I think. Well, there was two or three times where I, I genuinely w- was concerned for you know my, what, 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 what the hell, you know. And, uh, and as soon as you know this fear came over me, as soon as this this realization that this guy was gonna, you know, I don't know how long I'm gonna be here. I don't know uh, this guy. Uh, well, this sucks, right? I don't know what I, – I, I don't know what my future holds at this point. And the very next morning at 5 a.m., they take me out of there and send me to Montgomery. And uh, – no, no, excuse me. They send me to Atlanta. But I'm out of there. That guy's not – I'm not – don't have to worry with that guy. You know, now I've got uh, got new worries. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, the bullet. but that was my – yeah, that was my experience at the Oklahoma uh, Trans-Federal Transfer Facility. It was – It was probably the most dangerous place, aside from that first county jail I was in, Uh, potential for danger.
1: You're describing, you know, navigating the tiers of security or um – The risk uh, profile that that you're being assigned, uh, I guess everybody goes into county jail uh, with the worst assumptions made about them, uh, and then, you know, uh, upon observation and risk assessment, you're sort of tiered down, in your case, to the point that you could make it to a lower security uh, camp or prison, whatever we can call it, and in your case, something like Club Fed.
0: That's right. Uh, They it wasn't based on any of the time that I had served my classification. It was simply based on, it was a nonviolent drug offense, first time offender. Mm-hmm. You're automatically going to be class. As long as your sentence is 10 years or less, you're going to a camp. Uh, camps only accept nonviolence. If you've got any violence in your jacket, you're not going to a camp. Mm-hmm. If you've got a sentence longer than 10 years, you're not going to a camp. And if you're a child, of, if you're a uh, uh, sex offender, you're not going to a camp. Okay. So you, when you get to the camp, you know there's no sex offenders there. Mm-hmm. No one has to lie about, you know, you know that right off the bat. You know that no one there has any history of violence in their jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you've got everything else is a low, medium, or high, and obviously everybody wants to get to the to the minimum, which is uh, the camp. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I, I should just, uh, there's some points of clarity that I'm seeking here in an earlier uh, episode of the Rex crim show. I was chatting with a fella who uh, is now subject to the sex offender registry and uh, did some time for a sexual offense in Florida. I understand now he described his experience. In fact, in a camp as well. Um, Any, any input on that? I, I I just wonder um, if you have any further insight.
0: Uh, it, 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 it may be possible that that's changed or he was at a state facility. I I, I don't know. I know that that was, that was what everyone's understanding was at the camp and, uh, that, that, that you, there were no sex offenders right. there.
1: Um, well, that makes sense. It was, I know it was a state uh, facility as he described it in Florida. So um, which leads me to the other point of clarity, you're describing um, your stay in Oklahoma, I think Ala- Alabama, Georgia. Can you just make sense for, for us, uh, you know, how it is, where, where it is that you bounced around during these, uh, these times that you were being classified.
0: Sure. So it, it was, it was, Two county jails in Mississippi. Then, and both of them obviously had contracts to house federal inmates. So, you know, it, I don't know why I even went to the second county jail in Mississippi other than some politician wanted some money to go through mm-hmm. his district. You know, uh, that mm-hmm. would be what I would guess. So I went from one county, went to the second county, and then they bus- they bust me to Memphis and flew me to Oklahoma on uh, – I'm not even kidding. The, the jet that we got on literally said fun jet vacations on the side. It's nothing like the movie that you would make stage. <laughs> and uh, yeah, nothing like Con Air, but it was Con Air. And, uh, you know, it was about basically one air marshal per inmate. So it was like, you know, 40 air marshals wow. and 40 inmates. And uh, they flew me to Oklahoma. And by the way, the Oklahoma Federal Transfer Facility has its hmm. own runway. I mean, the the plane lands, and when when you get off, you're in the prison. (laughs) Uh, And so then I was, uh, it was two county jails in Mississippi. Then it was Oklahoma, then it was Atlanta, and then finally they bust me from Atlanta to Montgomery, Alabama. And the Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama, houses the federal prison camp, and the federal prison camp supports Maxwell Air Force base. The inmates, they have jobs. They cut the grass on the base. For a while I would weed eat the runway uh, when I first got there. That's everybody starts off on the mm-hmm. ground, the ground crew. And you know, there's 15, 20 work trucks every morning. You go out on the truck with other inmates and then a civilian and you work and then you come back and that's Monday through Friday and you make, you know, 11 cents an hour, uh, depending on how, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe 18, uh, depending and, uh, but that was Maxwell Air Force Base, uh, and it was beautiful. You know, it lit, the, the golf course was literally backs up to the camp. You can see people playing golf from that prison. You see generals or colonels out on the course. I mean, if there's a fence. There's a, a fence with barbed wire in between the prison and the, the golf course. Uh, but uh, the inmates were the ones who mowed the golf course. And the ones who weeded it and did any planting or any of that, and so uh, the 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 whole air force base itself is uh, is very nice looking. And throughout the day, there's inmates all over it.
1: What more can you say about uh, prison privatization and this idea of free or cheap labor?
0: Um. It's funny because the first the first county jail I was in was was a true county jail. The second one was a privately operated county jail, and it was actually nicer at the time and it was it was much more relaxed. The guards were their people had pot in their cells cigarettes, and the first one none of that. The first one was run strictly by the county and it was you aren't getting away with anything. The second one was uh, that was private was, was run pretty well. I mean, relaxed, I should say, um, as far as, uh, privatization in general, I think it is awful. I think that they should pass, they should be a constitutional amendment that says that, uh, any type of incarcerated individual must be incarcerated by the city, state, federal government only. Uh, it, it there's it's just it's just a way for federal governments and state governments and county governments to be a little cheaper save a little money but ultimately it's uh it's it's not good the healthcare's health care's worse everything's worse
1: how do you reconcile then you know your experience going from a county jail which was not as uh, comfortable to a private prison which the the detention climate sounds like you know was 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 more comfortable. Um, meanwhile, you're you're saying there shouldn't be privatization.
0: Well, I don't think that that one and a half month stay was is indicative of the of the true issue. Is all I think that I was lucky, and I think it was probably a timing issue because this was a 2007. This isn't 2000, you know. And so that that privatization was really. Eh, it wasn't nearly as as big as it, during that time as it was now so the private contractors who were running the county probably wanted to do a good job and not have a lot of complaints and not have a lot of you know negative negative things coming out of it and then since 2007 to 2021 i would i would venture to say that same facility if it's still privately run is probably not the same as it was when i first got there
1: wow so just to summarize you you this this matter all went down the CVS. Uh, the crime uh, in itself was in Alabama, right? Or was it in? No, Mississippi? It, was in,
0: it was in. It was in Mississippi.
1: And during your time, uh, you spent in custody. You went from Mississippi, Alabama, short stand in Tennessee, <laughs> Oklahoma, and Georgia.
0: <laughs> now, hold on, hold on. It, it, the travels went like this: the crime was in Mississippi, and Mississippi was the first place that I, where, where I initially turned myself in. Then Oklahoma, then Atlanta. Then Montgomery,
1: but they they, they bust you for a period of time while in custody uh, via Tennessee to Oklahoma. Is that right?
0: Yes, yeah. that's right. We went through the airport and uh, through Memphis Airport. So uh, we just uh, they, uh, they 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 bust me from one county jail to county jail number two. Mm-hmm. Then they bust me from county jail number two to Memphis Airport, where then they fly me. To Oklahoma, then they fly me back to Memphis, where I then get on a bus to Atlanta, and then they bus me from Atlanta to Montgomery.
1: D- Does this seem efficient in your mind?
0: <laughs> no, obviously not. Uh, it seems like the most efficient thing to do for a nonviolent first-time drug offender is to let himself surrender. I mean, the money that they that that the money that it must have cost them to have put me through two counties, two flights, buses with marshals and, and food. And, and I mean, we're talking five ten thousand $10,000. I'm guessing, I mean, that, that money didn't need to have been spent on that, you know, uh, obviously they could have let me self surrender. I don't know why they didn't. It was a judge's decision and the judge was nice to me. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know why he didn't. Maybe, maybe he just wanted me to go ahead and get it started because he was older and wiser and knew that I'd get out sooner if I went ahead and went in.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you have, you seem to have a great deal of insight, uh, certainly around the politics. You earlier alluded to this idea of politicians, you know, wanting to generate revenue and uh, of course. this inefficiency. You know, depending on which perspective you look at it from. Uh, it would seem it's, you know, not efficient in terms of finding justice, but certainly efficient in terms of creating, you know, a crime control industry.
0: Yeah. The prison industrial complex is, uh, is growing. It is, it is not going away. And, uh, you know, even as a a conservative, I I see that, I mean, I've got personal experience with it, so it's easy for me to have a, a, a good strong opinion about it. But, um, I believe that the the government should run them. Period. Uh, there's that way. There's there's no, uh, there's nobody trying to save on a buck. There's nobody trying to cover. You know, uh, it, it, there's a lot of reasons to, that that the private prisons are awful. And um, you know, I wasn't in one, but I I've got an opinion on the matter. Yeah,
1: and and uh, and then an informed uh, opinion uh, to say the least
0: i, I was going to say i was in that one private county jail for a month or two and th- so that's my experience with it and it was good but I, I kn- that's not indicative of, of of the prison industrial complex that was a long time ago and if i had to guess it was a, a newer contract and they were trying to make everybody look good and happy and that was why the conditions were decent mm-hmm. uh, and again i don't think that it would be it's you know if they, it's if they're publicly traded companies, they're accountable to the shareholders. They're not accountable to the inmates. Mm-hmm. They're accountable to the their customer, the the government that hired them, and the, and they're accountable to their shareholders. And they've got to show a profit. And how do they show a profit? You know, it costs a dollar fifteen to feed an inmate a day. Well, if we can get that down to a dollar oh five. Mm-hmm cut out the apples on wednesday
1: you know nutrition is not the priority here we're, we're looking at bare minimums uh all, all along the line from from diet to um you know privileges Hel-
0: health diet i'm sure yeah education yeah
1: i want to hone in uh, from this abstract level um but before we do um it sounds like overall, in your case, you would describe. Earlier, you mentioned you know making lemonade out of uh, these lemons. So, overall, would you say justice has been served in your case or not?
0: Yeah, I would. I did it. I was guilty. Uh, I, I pushed drugs into the community, yeah. just to this one guy. But I knew he he was. They, they were getting out. Mm-hmm. That 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 caused harm uh, to to the community at large and. um uh, I'm responsible for that, you know, and, um, I have to live with that and I feel like I've, I've paid, I've paid the price and, um, you know, that's behind me now, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I was jebter. I mean, I did it.
1: But despite us sort of talking about this, uh, issue with the prison industrial complex, uh, um, you know, justice has still been served. Uh, how do we reconcile this? You know, do the, do the ends justify the means?
0: In my case, yes, I was lucky. Though I was really lucky. I mean, again, I'm the exception. Uh, I was really lucky to have the, the the first part of my of my incarceration was a little rough getting getting to club fed, mm-hmm. but once I got to club fed, uh, it was a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a community college without alcohol and women.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, there was no violence, no threat of violence. No threat of much, uh, you know. The food was was g- good on most of the time. Uh, the resources were uh, tremendous uh, at Club Fed. Uh, they they have so many things to do. I mean, this if you go go to Google Maps and uh, you know look at Maxwell Air Force Base and zoom in uh, near the river and look for a softball field. And that uh, should be the prison softball field. And uh, they had a volleyball court with real beach sand, two tennis courts, four racquetball bays, a handball racquetball. They had a music room. And I'm a musician. Uh, uh, in, in my, as, as part of my DNA, I am, I should say. But uh, they had 10, 15 guitars, drum set, a couple of keyboards, piano, recording equipment, uh it was a nice music room, which is where I spent most of my time, was in the music room. I was in a variety of different bands because I, I played the guitar. I played lead guitar. I've played my whole life, and I'm pretty good. And uh, so they all wanted me to play uh, country. I mean, I was in a rap band, uh, uh, old R&B. Uh, and, you know, it was it was fun at times, and it was beautiful at times. Uh, but ultimately, you can't go home. Mm-hmm. You can't just go to the store. You're not free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They can come and tell you to come with them at any time and do a strip search if they want to. And that didn't happen really, but it it could. Mm-hmm. And if they thought you had some cigarettes in your pocket or something, it would. <laughs> uh, but the getting to club fed and and, and getting you know comfortable, making friends. Uh, made it very easy. It was really easy time, but it wasn't, uh, you know, the whole time, you know, you just want to get out. You want to get back to your family. You want to get back to your, you know, what if somebody dies while you're in there? You can't, you know, those those are the types of things that you miss birthdays, you miss events, you know, you've got to talk to every five minutes on the telephone. A, a voice comes on and says, You are speaking with an inmate at a federal prison. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to let you forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I finally got there and got comfortable, uh, it, it, it wasn't bad at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it, I, 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 I got in great shape. I ate extremely healthy. I probably added years to my life, uh, sleeping 12 hours, you know, go to bed at 10 o'clock and wake up at five or go to bed at nine o'clock and wake up at five every day, you know, uh, and working out every day, exercising every day. Uh, you know, reading. I mean, this, this, this was time that I looked at as this, this is an opportunity for me to really take, Myself and uh, spiritually, physically, emotionally, to, to to another level, to a more mature level, on, on, on in every area, and that's that's what I strove for. You know, I read the classics. I, I read. Uh, I, I'm not big on pulp fiction. Mainly, I, I like to stick to the to classical authors. You know, um, I read some Russian literature. I read. Uh, you know, Faulkner, Dostoyevsky. Uh, you know, Homer. All of that. The library that we had had this great uh, encyclopedia set. It was uh, called Great Books by Britannica. And it was about 50 50 th- 50 books and they looked like an a bound encyclopedia set, but it in fact was uh all of the classics from in, in order uh by time. So it started with Homer, you know, and it ended with Kierkegaard, something like that. And uh you know, I that's what I spent my time doing. I, uh, I ended up teaching GED uh while I was there because uh one of I have a degree in physics, uh, another degree in biology. Uh, from a uh, university in mississippi and uh the physics degree gave me an in to teach uh, algebra for ged mm-hmm. and so that was my job the first three weeks i was there i mowed grass and then i got over and educate got got in or, over at education and I, then i worked for one hour a day five days a week that was my job these other guys are going out weed eating for six hours a day uh, and they a lot of these guys wanted to go out and weed eat and power to them mm-hmm. uh I I was more comfortable working, not really doing much, you know, um, and so that made that made it even easier, mm-hmm. you know, for for my time, but it's still time, yeah. you, you know, you you still can't just still gotta cut the lights off at 10, you know, you got to do what they say, you know, don't take food out of the kitchen. Don't, you know, don't do that. Don't do this. No, nope. You know, that, all that, all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know,
1: it, you're, you're describing um, a fundamental principle in um, sentencing theory or penology, you know, this idea that the, the sentence in itself is the deprivation of liberty. And yet, you know, public perceptions about crime generally are having to do with, you know, punishment upon punishment and getting comeuppance. Um, I want to refer to something that I found quite eloquent in your writings, uh, in the blog you, you wrote, um, you know, describing your time, uh, I think at, at, uh, club fed, you said about putting on the show of crime and it's just desserts. So they control supply of all ideologies. Um, what do you mean by that? Does that, do, do you recall writing that in your blog? I think that's uh 19th of January 2013. What was
0: the title of the of that particular piece? Do you have it in front of yeah, you?
1: Yeah, I believe it was Imminently Releasable Club Fed Intellectual.
0: <laughs> uh it was so during that time, I think it was in specifically in regards to the residential drug and alcohol program, the community based uh, cognitive behavioral therapy rehab that I was, that, you know, i took part in and uh, these, uh, so they take all the people who are in this program and they put them in one building community for the community, right? So there's three buildings that houses inmates. And one of the buildings is for the RDAP people and they all have to, Dressed differently, they all wear their greens every day. You can't just wear your green pants and your brown shirt. You got to wear your green pants and your green button-up shirt, so you're dressed a little bit nicer. And any any inmate could have worn their greens at any time. There's no, you know, but we were required to, and most wouldn't want to, right? Unless you had to. Mm -hmm. So the, the 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 counselors. That, that ran this program you went through a series of different counselors you know you'd have a, a an hour with as a, as a as a group you know you were you were seven people or eight people were in your group and that's the group you're going to be with throughout this whole thing so this whole me and this group or had this one counselor then we go to another counselor then we go to lunch then we all go to where everybody meets in the auditorium for the the, the whole RDAP community and then we go back to our eight-man group for another module and then that's the day okay so uh, in each module would talk about different things you know uh, uh, but it was all CBT based and uh, the, the, the teaching you you really had to conform uh, to their ideology or you're not gonna get your your early time out you want to go home uh, in, on, in March like you think you're gonna go home well, you better change your attitude about that particular topic because I don't think you're ready. We may just have to add another month. Because, see, they can't add any time to your sentence, but they can take time off of your, what you're going to get right. from that program itself. And so they're they that's a big motivator to conform to their ideologies. Uh, and – Brainwashing. Uh, there's another one I wrote. Brainwashing an art app. I think it's, it's titled something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's you know they've they've got they've got what they think and and then uh, you you better think it.
1: Mm-hmm. There's this indoctrination uh, that you uh, are describing.
0: Now, even though I'm describing it a, a bit cynically, I cre- I credit it to. My success post release. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I credit that that program uh, and and even though i'm 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 talking about it, like you know it's a lot of times I would here's an example. We had one counselor and uh, she uh, was a she was a very i want to speak frankly, she was a very ghetto counselor. I mean, she, her English was bad. she she had a master's in something. But her English was very bad. She did not, she spoke very, very ghetto. And her attitude was very ghetto. And she was on a power trip. And okay, hold on, connection lost.
1: There we go. I'm It's reconnected. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's well. It's uh, it's part of the part of the thing. I lost you. You were just describing some of the lessons that you had learned in the uh, treatment part of your. Uh, could you just summarize that again or, or reiterate what you were saying? Sure,
0: sure. Uh, the the the. I guess looking at yourself from a from a different viewpoint, right? One of the things that they that was they were big on was a camera check, okay? And a camera check is when, and this is part of CBT, I think, in general, but a camera check is when you imagine that there's a camera up in the corner of the room and it's watching you. Is the way you see things, the way that camera sees things. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that, that, was, that was one of the pieces that they, that they would use. Um, they also would do, uh, you know, pull-ups and push-ups. You know, if, if someone needed encouragement, then you would give them a push-up. You know, you would give them some a word of encouragement. If someone was doing something wrong, you would give them a pull-up. And you were supposed to do this in front of the community, Nobody did this. This is equivalent to snitching almost. It's like, hey, I'm pulling you up because you were smoking in the in the uh, outside, and uh, you know that's you're not supposed to do that. Well, if if anybody gets caught smoking in the RDAP program, they're out. Period. So, you know, if you get if you get written up for anything in the in the program, you're out. So. All the inmates in that were on their best behavior at all times, uh, but some weren't. Some were still trying to get away with stuff. You know, there was plenty of guys in there just still gaming the system. But I mean, I, I wasn't going to. Smoking was not worth it to me to risk a year in prison extra. You know that I was about to get knocked off. Uh, but uh, you know, the con- conforming to uh, to the rules. You know, up until this point in my life, I've pretty much gotten away with everything. I was always kind of a little outlaw, if you will. And uh, you know, it's, it's, you can't you can't do that forever. <laughs> you can't you can't keep doing it and not get in trouble. It's just easier not to lie. It's just easier not to get in trouble.
1: That forced structure is something that uh, that you seem to look back with uh, with a great deal of gratitude upon. Uh, I, I mean, this is a, a case of someone really. Turning it around and able, you know, able to make the best out of uh, out of uh, a negative situation. There's one uh, thing that I'm struggling with, uh, and maybe you can shed further light on. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you know it's prison, and and this deprivation of liber- liberty is uncomfortable. This is punishment, um, and yet, you know, when I read, I think that particular blog that I referred to earlier, a common theme that I was seeing is this sort of stress of imminent release and people were uncomfortable with the idea or maybe you and, and your fellow uh, inmates were not, you know, there was some there was stress about going back into the community from prison. Can you help make sense of that, uh, that conflict? Yeah. From, from you're, that?
0: you're, you're terrified. You know, uh, if you've, you've been gone for nearly three years and now you're going back to, to uh, a a wife who's barely stayed with you. And, and probably cheated on you while you were away. You've done every, when you get in there, you, you, I saw this with so many people. They they get in and they immediately start having relationship problems with their significant other on the outside. And, and, uh, you know, I managed to, 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 to keep my marriage during that time, but it didn't last for another year once I got out, uh. And you're, you know, you don't want to come home and you've got, you know, you've got to I don't, you don't want to come home and start moving the, the 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 couch to the other side of the room. You know, you don't you don't want to come home and start making any major changes. You and so you know, at first you're at the halfway house, and then you're on home in the halfway house. You get to go home on the weekend, and then you're on home confinement. So you are living at home now, finally, but you still they're calling you all the time to make sure you're there. Your ankle bracelet's there. You got to call them if you're going anywhere. You got to get approval to go anywhere. Uh, but but imminently releasable. You're you're terrified. You don't know what you're going home to. You don't know who's still going to be there for you. You don't know what the situation is going to be like. And even when you finally get out, and you you get you you go to your house for the first day that you because you finally at the halfway house and you finally got a pass to go home, and you get there and uh, it was it was a disaster. My my ex wife was taking sleeping pills. She was drinking she was lying it was she was very unhappy she was sleeping all day long and uh the house was trashed and uh yeah so i start trying to to make it make everything good i start to clean up you know i start i try to encourage her you know by this point though our history had the damage was done and uh you know we weren't going to make it and I, I tried everything I could to to, to to make it just just on principle, not because I, I wanted to really not because I wanted to be with her really it was just it just seemed like that's what you do. You just try to make it work. <laughs> uh, and you know she, the, they're stressed. your family is stressed that you're getting out. you know they're you can hear it in their voices, you know they're they're excited. And they're, then they're they're happy and they're thrilled, but they're worried and they're stressing that. And, uh, you know, they're worried that you're going to get out and screw up again. Mm-hmm. They're worried that, you know, uh, <laughs> th- what are you going to be like when you get out? And there is an institutionalization that occurs of waking up every day at 5 a.m. and lights off at 9 or 10, whenever it was. There's an institutionalization that occurs. You know, you, you hear the bell and you go get the food you know the bell rings again now you go back to your to your bunk mm-hmm. uh, and the longer you're in the more institutionalized that you you really become and and that's breaking that was was that's what most inmates are are, are, are Scared of is what am I going to be like when I get out? You know, I know, I know for the past X amount of time, I've been saying this, I've been doing this, I've been writing in a journal, I've been reading, I've been bettering myself, and then you see people get out and you see them come back. You know, people you, they violated their their probation and now they're back at the same prison. These are your friends who you saw get released. And now they're back because they, you know, whatever, they failed a drug test or something. And, uh, and you're like, dude, what the, what happened? Why I thought you, I thought you were going to be the, uh, and so you, there's there's not a lot of positive reinforcement that goes along with uh, trying to eliminate any of that stress. You see these people that you know that are constantly, I don't know, recidivizing? That's not a word, but you know what I mean. I think
1: it is, yeah. To recidivate, I uh, mean, well, I think that refers to the likelihood of returning to uh, to the criminal justice system after having gone through it.
0: But you're, your family's nervous. You're nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, you're excited. You're both eager and anxious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people use those words interchangeably, and they shouldn't, but that's what you are. You're both.
1: Well, it leads me to an over arching theme. Uh, I've been fascinated chatting with other people who have spent time. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of on another Rex crim episode, we were speaking with someone who was in Oregon and he describes finding himself, uh, in terms of art, uh, and, and you're describing music, you know, this idea of art in prison. It, um, it it doesn't jive with the popular perceptions, um, of prison. And so it leads me to ask you, what is prison for primarily? Is it for punishment or rehabilitation?
0: Well, I mean, it, it, it should, you, you look at some of the models over in, you know, the Nordic area, those, those types of prisons, Sweden, you know, and those are, those are, true rehabilitative prisons, in my opinion, from what I've seen on television. You know, I, have, I haven't done any deep dives into it, but it looks like their model of, of, of true rehabilitation is, works best. You know, the, the programs, the, the social, and you're in Canada, so, you know, there's a, there's a little more of an element of socialism to Canada than there is the states, although the states are one could argue are socialist, many socialist components to the United States as well. You know, nobody wants to acknowledge that for some reason. Um, but the, the, the punishment part is, it's both really, you know, it is, it should be rehab and punishment. You know, you're in trouble. You did this. You're, you're, you were in the wrong by society standards and and you've got to, you know, we're going to take you and put you over here now and you can't leave here for this amount of time. And, you know, hopefully there's some resources there that'll help you, you know? If you're smart enough to find them or if you're willing to find them.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you went there. I uh, I've, I actually went to graduate school in the Netherlands, and I have a keen interest in studying prisons, specifically, uh, as you say, Nordic countries. They seem to be the the exemplar. Um, Norway in specific in particular, I'm, I'm thinking of Bastoy Prison, uh, which is an open prison without prison walls, kind of like what you're describing uh, in Montgomery. Uh, I think there's a real potential for therapy in this in this climate.
0: Uh, I agree. I, I think if if the individual is willing, then absolutely. However, there are a lot of uh, criminals, stone cold criminals with 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 bad intentions in some of these maximum security prisons. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, and, and 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 I don't think that. The, the the nordic countries suffer from as much uh, gang affiliation either you know these these people weren't living on the streets uh huffing paint and and trying to find methamphetamine and then got in trouble and now they're in a, a prison in norway they they probably not anyway i should say uh but you know and in, in here there there are a lot of people that are like that you know the and that's due to it's, it's a failure on, on the on the the government of the U.S. to to get to not let those people be there in the first place. Whereas you don't you don't really see a lot of that uh, or have a lot of that in those other countries that we were talking about. And so there's gang affiliation. And you know, I was in I was in my second county jail experience. I was my cellmate was an Aryan brother, an AB, and uh, he had just done ten years in state prison. And had picked up a federal charge in state prison for using the phone to coordinate drug deals. So now he's just he's finished his 10-year state prison term, and now he picked up another 10 years in the feds. And he's waiting to, to go somewhere and be sentenced, and he's an AB, and he's got a swastika on his back. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, he was a nice guy to me you know, and he, he, he dealt with, uh, the, the, the blacks that were in the cell with us respectfully, you know, it wasn't anything crazy, but he made it known that he was an AB and, you know, he's affiliated. And whenever he gets to where he's going, he'll be in that group. Nobody's going to mess with him, you know? And, uh, that, that requirement for people who were going into Max and not not really medium but main, mainly maximum security uh in medium they have the affiliations too but there's not as you know it's a different level of of, of the probability of violence obviously in in a, in a medium than a max but uh you know you've got those types of people and why why is he there why is he still trying to sell drugs you know that he he's not rehabilitated he's he's still trying to hustle he's still trying to do drugs he's trying to get over and uh I don't know what the ultimate goal to that is, but that guy—I don't think he'd be successful over in Norway's model, right? Uh, Norway's model is successful because the people going into it are already at a certain stage of—they're uh, not—they're not already on the ground, you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're not on—they're the, not climbing their way up on, from society's dirt the way that. Uh, a lot of people in our prison systems are.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you you pointed that out. Indeed, you know, Norway is known to have a robust uh, social welfare state and yeah, it's not like the the level of poverty and um things that lead to gang membership in the first place um you know, are 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 fundamental issues in countries like that. But we'll keep it specific to your experience. I wonder um well, I wanted to ask about um you know this hierarchy and the packing order, but I think we've covered that. And I, ultimately, it sounds to me like you know the recipe for your success has to do with this sort of internalized locus of behavioral control, where you've said, "Look, I have responsibility over these circumstances. I have an obligation to turn them around and, and make something good of this. Make lemonade out of lemons," as you as you say. I like that a lot, and uh, and that perhaps is some. Of the reason that you ended up, you know, in a lower risk, uh, uh, lower, what is it, security facility? and
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if – I mean, I'll, I'll, I ended up in a minimum just because – I was first time nonviolent drug offender. I mean, that's where you're going to go if it's a federal crime in the United States. Is you're going to go to a minimum security uh, facility as long as there's room. You know, if there's no room, you're going to go to the next level up. Uh, I, my attitude, I don't think had anything to do with my security classification. I mean, uh, obviously, if I would have gotten to my first county jail and started fighting and stabbing people, then, uh, I doubt I would have went to a minimum. <laughs> uh, you know, if I would have gotten involved in some stuff along the way before I got there, before I got classified as a minimum, uh, it wouldn't have happened. You know, I would have went somewhere else. Uh, that wasn't going to be the case for me. You know, I mean, I, uh, I had always been a, 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 a good guy, a smart guy. I'm not, you know, a, a uh, I, I, I realized what it was. I re- the only the my only other option was really to run off and join the French Foreign Legion and try to get a new identity. And I don't think they do that anymore.
1: <laughs> right. Having uh, in, enjoyed is a loaded term here, but you know, having done well with this force structure placed upon you, I wonder what your opinion on the decriminalization of drugs is.
0: Oh, it's uh, obviously it's exactly what you think it would be. It, 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 uh, the entire drug, when, when, when they passed the the sentencing guidelines in the U S and, uh, particularly the, the drug sentencing guidelines. And when they began to charge people under the Rico act for a conspiracy, I mean, you can be convicted if you could have known this person was doing it in that conspiracy. Uh, but it, as far as legalization goes, uh, I don't, I, I kind of have a problem with legalizing heroin, uh, or, 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 meth, but as far as marijuana or obviously that should be legal and it is in a lot of places now, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still a little torn on it. I know that there's been some that that's occurred in several countries already and, uh, you know, it seems to be going okay. I would be a little, I don't know is the answer. I think if you legalize it in the States, I don't think it'll happen. I think that there's too much, too much money and, 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 and pressure to, to not do it. You know, you've got all these, uh, re, you've got rehab clinics, you've got people, doctors prescribing methadone, you've got the pharmaceutical industry in it, you know, that you, they it, It's hard to say. I'd I'd, I'd have to say my opinion would be a little conflicted. Uh, uh, Some need to be legalized. I'm a little skeptical on some. As far as what the laws say, should happen if you get caught with it is one thing, and another one is what happens if you get caught selling it because that's really where you get into the trouble is when you're selling it that's the conspiracy to distribute that's serious, but if it's legal, okay this you know you can sell it so you know all the people that are in jail right now for selling marijuana were you know uh, it's ridiculous you know uh, a friend of mine was uh, a <laughs> Prominent business leader uh, in a in a in a big Tennessee town, and uh, uh, had several uh, had revitalized the downtown. But he did it with marijuana money. He, his, he was involved in some sort of operation and made a lot of money selling and you know distributing marijuana, and used that money to revitalize this downtown area. In a in a prominent college town, and it's still revitalized today. And he's out, and they seized all his buildings, but he's managed to get some of them back, and he's doing great. And you know, now what 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 what, what does that mean? Whenever the day comes when the U.S. finally decriminalizes marijuana, what does that mean? What did it? What was all that for? You know, mm-hmm.
1: nothing yeah yeah it's a uh it 's loaded with politics and um yeah tied to the economy i mean there's a real uh status quo bias in in having change about that, but I do have a sense that there is this move at least regarding psychedelics and and certain drugs soft drugs if you will in in uh, becoming decriminalized um, but maybe that 's uh suitable for a for a future episode. i want to segue now to Um, you know why it is that you agreed to come on and have a conversation? You, um, you're you're here for what reason?
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, you had posted something on the XCon sub Reddit, and uh, I've subscribed to that. And you know, I I've see people in there sometimes. I might direct message someone, uh, some information that maybe they were unaware of. You know, uh, you know, just try to. A lot of people that are in that sub uh, are, are like me, you know, and uh, a lot of them don't have any idea that they could be like me. You know, it's uh, even though I have this this felony on my record. It has not stopped me from doing anything that I wanted to do. The only thing that stopped me from doing is renting an apartment in a corporate apartment complex. That's it. And uh, so instead, I just rented a house from somebody else. This was years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so it hasn't stopped me. And a lot of people are under the impression that if you have a felony, that that's it. You're going to have to do yard work for the rest of your life or be a roofer or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Or a dishwasher. But it's not the case, Um, you know. Just just don't get into any more trouble, Mm -hmm. and and you know, as long as you don't have like, as long as your felony isn't for you know, uh, again, some sex crime or some where you did where it's clear that you did it, uh, you know, or something like uh, a a violent crime, you know, where you viciously killed somebody, you know. Now you did thirty years, and now you're out. Those people may have a hard time getting a job but you know for the vast majority of people in the u.s prison system you know a quarter of them i think they're nonviolent drug first-time nonviolent drug offenders you know all those all those people hmm. uh there's there are opportunities out there but you have to keep you have to you know you have to look for them you have to find them and you have to not use that as an excuse uh to 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 just be a bum or be lazy or, or, or uses an excuse as to why you, you're not working or, okay, I'm going to buy or hire me. No, that's not, it's not the case at all.
1: And yet, um, forgive me for pressing, but here, you know, you've uh, graciously offered your time and your experience, but under a pseudonym.
0: <laughs> right. Um, well, I work in finance and the people, the company that I work for, they know about all of this. And, uh, so I'm, I'm not hiding it from them. It's just more, I just don't, you don't want anybody asking, you don't want anybody coming to, to anybody where you work and say, Hey, I heard this guy on a blog. He was talking about this. Did you know this? And then have them have to say, yes, we did know it. And you know, it's, uh, da, 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 da. uh, it's more about putting anyone else in a bad position than myself. Uh, but, but you know why I did it, um, it's interesting. I, I put, I have a blog out, you know, that I did years ago that still gets hits today. It it gets a lot pretty, you know, the people who search for it are the people who are going. And, you know, one of the, one of the blogs said, if, if, if you found this blog, uh, it's probably because you've probably been searching and searching for information and because you're going away and, you know, here's my take on it to, to, in, in an effort to help the greater good, uh, to, to help the, the people that that are just going in. When I, when I was going in, I looked and looked and there was nothing. I couldn't find anything about what, and, and, you know, and now there's, now there's consulting agencies that, that offer services, you know, you, you, for rich people going to jail for six months for, you know, like the, the, the college admission uh, scandal. You know, just some celebrities had to go. You know, they they hired consultants to to prep them for this. You know, that's that's all I was trying to offer, and that's what I'm offering now as well to anybody who would listen to this. If this is ever, if this gets indexed on the web, and someone's able to 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 find this, and 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 you know, I hope it offers some 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 comfort. I guess.
1: Yeah, indeed. This is a, a story of hope and, uh, and you've been able to, you know, turn this uh, around in in a positive light. So, um, I want to thank you. I wonder, um, aside from plugging the blog, if anyone listening is interested in checking that out, it'll be in the show notes. Is there anything else you might direct folks to check out any other groups that you think are interesting or any words of uh, wisdom that you can impart?
0: (laughs) Uh, if, if I'm going to plug something, uh, let's, let's buy some, uh, doja coin and some safe moon coin and, uh, let's go to the moon.
1: Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, but as, as far as plugging my blog, I don't. I don't plug my blog. Really, it's uh, it, it, it's something that that I that I wanted. I wanted to to memorialize my thoughts while they were still somewhat fresh on my memory, and uh, that's what that was for. In addition to to offering information to people who are searching for that kind of information, uh, but you know, I'm I'm am uh, I'm just a, a regular citizen in uh, living in Tennessee that has. You know, just just living life and trying to enjoy things, and uh, and 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 grateful, and uh, and uh, you know, I'm just just glad to be where I'm at mm-hmm. now.
1: Well, your point on uh, cryptocurrency is well taken. We've got a future episode uh, coming out on that topic, uh, and so I'm closely watching. Although I think you're you're just making a pun, but uh, there's certainly something to be said. No, no.
0: If 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 uh, if everybody buys some some uh coin and Safecoin, then it's yeah. going to go up, and so it is a pun. But if anybody's listening, I, I do think that uh, I think that those are those are are valid valid things to look into.
1: Right on. Well, last question I'll ask you then, uh, Tupelo, what have you got in store for the future? Well, uh,
0: I don't have a 10 year plan really. Uh, God has seemingly directed my path in such a way to where, uh, things seem to just fall right into place for me. And, uh, I, I trust that, uh, I just uh, honestly, I'd I'd like to retire early and uh, and travel and enjoy fine food and uh, and enjoy my family and my loved ones and uh, just you know help where I can you know right. try to better better everybody that I can you know that's just really it
1: mm-hmm. paying it forward. Yeah, I, um, I would like to suggest that, you know, a great deal of the fortune uh, thus far afforded to you and, and what's yet to come has to do indeed, just with that attitude and orientation that you maintain. So I want to thank you uh, with my own level of gratitude, sincerely for coming on and sharing your time. And uh, it's been just an absolute pleasure getting inside the mind of someone who's spent time inside.
0: Thank you for having me, Rex. I appreciate it. Uh, This was an excellent experience, and I wish you well in all your future endeavors.